0: Well, good morning, folks. We're back in Mark uh, Luke chapter nine, please. We always enjoy the reading of the scriptures. Um, I should apologise for my hymn st- starting. I, I just can't get that right at the moment. I'm either too high or I'm starting the wrong tune. I, I don't quite know what's going wrong with that one. After all these years, you would think I would get it right. I'm, I'll, I will try harder. I promise uh, in future. Um, As Teruzzi says, the prayer diaries are here. We're grateful to Claire for taking over that responsibility to compile the prayer diary. We've got some physical ones, and it's also in the group if you want to see it there. We always miss folks that are missing, don't we? We really do miss the people who are missing Daniels away. He told us in the group he was away trying to help somebody uh, this weekend, and, and we miss him. Les and Norma are missing. Norma's come down with a dreaded lurgy. Uh, this morning, she was waiting for the doctor to come earlier on this morning, and Christopher texted me just to say that he's down with flu like symptoms as well. So, we, we, we miss them all, and we must just remember them in prayer. There's a lot going around at the moment. Um, poor Pam had a, a real dozy and struggling to get over it, so we need to remember each other that we'll use our strength for the glory of the Lord. So, we're in Luke chapter 9. Um, My study of this chapter, folks, I confess to you, has really been um, extremely challenging. There are some big things in um, Luke chapter 9, and personally I found it a real challenge as I've studied that. Because a Christian essentially, and it's very generic, is a person of the book. That's what we are, aren't we? We're, We're a person of the book. If we don't have the book... We've really got nothing. We're just left to our own kind of wild fl- flights of fancy. And if you don't stick to the book, anything goes, doesn't it, really? And, and I suppose in the general atmosphere of evangelical Christianity, we would see a trend to abandon the book and more, um, and more emphasise personal experience. So if you do that, anything goes and anything counts. And so we're really people with the book. And that's why we, we take time to, to, to read the scriptures. And if I was going to take advantage, if I could, of my, my position as a shepherd of the flock here, I would like to encourage us all, if we could, to read along when we're reading the scriptures together. You know, it's good to have your own Bible to read along with and get familiar with. And it's good for us to read together because if we hear and see it all together, it just emphasizes. And the reading of the scripture is singularly the most important part of this part of the meeting, we try and help with a little explanation of the scriptures, but the scriptures themselves are the big thing, aren't they? Really, and so if we could, if I could encourage you as um, to get into that habit of just doing that, that would be really, really good. There are verses uh, we're going to look at, Luke chapter nine, and there are verses that, when you read them in the scriptures. Rather than reading them in autopilot, you read them so often in autopilot, and then suddenly the Lord stops you and just the verse hits you or the passage hits you in a way that it's never hit you before. And so I want to read with you before we get into Luke 9, a passage that's so relevant to understanding Luke chapter 9. Because as a Christian, what is it all about, folks? Well, we know we're saved and ready for heaven. We're forgiven our sins and we're ready for heaven. But as a Christian... What's the point of our life? Are we just saved with a ticket to heaven and that's when we go and we just, just proceed in our own merry way? Or is there something much bigger for every Christian? And when we come to the, the Gospels, the, the verse that's in my mind is this verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and, verse 18. and I remember as a young man when this hit me and kind of revolutionised my whole understanding of the Bible or, or my whole understanding of Christian life. It says this, but we all with open face beholding as in a glass that's in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Now, now what does Paul mean? He means what's the glass that we look into behold the glory of the Lord? What, what is it? What is the glass that we look into for the glory of the Lord? The glass is the Bible isn't it? The, 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 the thing we look into to understand the Lord is the Bible and particularly when we're thinking about the Lord Jesus we're thinking about the Gospels Matthew, Mark, Luke and John aren't we? We're beholding in the glass, the book, the the Bible, the glory of the Lord, and are changed into the same image from glory to glory even as by the Spirit of the Lord. In other words, our purpose is to be be changed to be more like the Lord Jesus. And so when we study the Bible, there's such an important emphasis placed on our getting to know the Lord, isn't that right? And where better do you get to know the Lord than the Gospels? Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And so I have adopted a reading scheme, a second reading scheme that takes me through the Gospels every single day. And if we are going to be Christians, we're going to have to become more and more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. So their purpose in life, our sole purpose in life, our primary reason for being here, why the Lord doesn't take us to heaven right away is this, that we we learn about him and we become like him. We're changed. And the two kind of mediums God uses is the book, the the, the glass, the Bible, and then it says, even as by the spirit of the Lord. So as we read the scripture now in Luke 9, we're going to read about the Lord Jesus. And our purpose in reading about the Lord Jesus is not to make us academically more uh, able when it comes to understanding the Bible, but our thoughts as we look at the Lord Jesus is, how can this passage transform me to be more like him, to live more for his glory? What does it mean for me when it comes to being more like the Lord Jesus, what parts of my life am I going to have to look at and adjust to become more like the Lord Jesus? That's really what I'm thinking about as we go through this uh, Luke chapter nine. So let's read in Luke chapter nine and we'll read from verse 37 and we'll read through to verse 50. We'll try and read it in a winner without making too many comments as we read and then we'll go back and make the comments. Verse 37. And it came to pass on the next day. Now, it, It means that the previous day was significant, doesn't it? What happened on the previous day? The previous day, three of the disciples were taken up a mountain with the Lord Jesus. Nine of them were left behind, but three of them were taken up the mountain to see the Lord Jesus. And they saw the Lord Jesus transfigured in all his glory. And something really significant happened on the Mount of Transfiguration. They saw and heard things that nobody else saw and heard. Matter of fact, they were told at times not to, to, to say anything about it, but they did. But uh, And Peter Otec talk to you about it later on. But the day on the mountain of Transfiguration was like, like a day of no other days in their experience. Right, okay? And then it says, the next day. So they're, they're right on the back of this wonderful mountaintop experience. They're right on this the back of this wonderful understanding of the glory of the Lord. And it says this, the next day when they were come down, from the hill, much people met him. And behold, a man of the company cried out, saying, Master, I beseech thee, look upon my son, for he is mine only child. And lo, a spirit taketh him, and suddenly crieth out. Do you know what it is? It's down to earth with a bump. Isn't it? It's down to earth with a bump. Suddenly this high, heavenly, mystical, glorious experience of beholding the glory of the Lord is met head on with the harsh realities of a world in which we live. And brothers and sisters, that's Christian life, isn't it? I mean, Christian life, to be honest with you, if you think I'm too simple about this, you forgive me about that, but I like things like this. I like times together as Christians when we think and and, and talk about the Lord and we have fellowship with the Lord. And for me, as we go through my week, these times are mountaintop experiences for me, really, aren't they? And when I read my scripture in the morning and I pray, I'm looking for the glory of the Lord. And they're mountaintop experiences for, for us. But we don't live there, do we? We go back to the harsh realities of life. We're back to Monday morning and Wednesday afternoon and, and Thursday night and, and, and Friday and, and the harsh realities come on the back of some of our most wonderful experiences of the Lord. And we're now going to see how these people who enjoyed such a wonderful experience of the Lord and enjoyed such privilege from the Lord, we're going to see what happens to them. Because actually, we're going to see that the life didn't pretty much live up to what they experienced in the mountain. Let's, let's keep reading. It says this. Behold a man of the company cried out, saying, Master, I beseech thee, look upon my son, for he is mine only child. It's interesting because only Luke says he's his only child. You can read about this in Mark seven, Matthew 17, and Mark 9. But only Luke says he's the only child. Matter of fact, Luke's good at that. He says, Remember the widow of Nain? Says she was his only son. And the other person that was taking a little girl his only child and, and if you've got an only child you know that that every child's special please don't misunderstand me but there's a kind of added significance and sacrifice isn't there when it becomes your only only child it says this and lo a spirit taketh him and he suddenly crieth out and it teareth him and he foameth again and bruising him hardly departeth from him and I besought thy disciples to cast him out, and they could not. So it seems that the nine, when the Lord had taken three on the mountain, the nine were still doing what the Lord had charged them to do. But they'd come across a situation that was actually too much for them. Too much for them. Now, they had actually got delegated authority from the Lord to do this. They wouldn't, they wouldn't have been presumptuous to heal this young man because the Lord had sent them forth to preach, and to heal. And so the Lord had given them everything that was necessary to deal with this situation but somehow they failed. They could not. We're going to find out why they failed. And Jesus answering said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and suffer you? Bring thy son hither. The key is this O faithless and perverse generation. So what is faith? Is faith the power of positive thinking? Is that what faith is? You know, if you have enough faith, enough energy and positive thinking, things will happen. No, it's not. Faith is just acting and completely trusting on what God has said. You need to have a revelation from God to, to, to exercise faith you don't just have the power of positive thinking and think if I can muster up enough faith something will happen that's not what biblical faith is biblical faith is God has said it I believe it and I stake my whole life in it now why am I saying that because right at the beginning of this chapter it says this it says he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick so they didn't have to think. I, I can work. I need to work up enough faith to, to cure this man. It wasn't about their power of positive thinking. It was just about them not trusting what God, the Lord, had said. The Lord had said they could do it, and they saw this boy, and he was tear, he'd been t- torn, and he was being thrown down. And if you read in the other Gospels, he was thrown in the fire, and he was thrown in the water. This spirit was trying to destroy him. They obviously decided, well, the Lord has given us power, but this one's too much for us. This one's too much for us. They weren't prepared to take the Lord at His word a big challenge for me and you. Isn't it? The Lord has spoken in his word and we don't have to muster up energy or, or have the power of positive thinking. We just have to say, he has said it, I believe it and I'll stake my life in it. And that's what acting by faith is. It says this, and Jesus answered, said, "O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and suffer you? Bring my son down hither. And as he was yet coming, the devil threw him down and tear him. And Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the child and delivered him unto his father. So we understand that this is not just a physical illness. Can can you see what's happening? This is a a demon originating illness. Now not all illness is a result of a demon activity. It's very clear about that. Very clear about that. But this one was. And the the, the word identifies that. And the Lord acts to deliver the boy, not just from an illness, not just from a, a sickness that he foams at the mouth and it bruises him. This spirit was trying to destroy this guy, this young boy's life. It would. It says, look, look what it says it does to him. It throws him down, and it tears him, and it, it bruises him, and, and it hardly departs from him. And he was throwing himself in the fire, and he was throwing himself in the water. It's almost as if the devil, the demon's trying to destroy this boy's life before he can get to the Lord. Isn't that right? That's what he's, that's, it seems that that's what's happening. And it seems as though in God's sovereign purpose, the Lord has chosen this young boy to display a very special sense of his glory. But the devil's going to try and destroy And try and bruise him and try and damage him as much as possible. Now, not everybody's demon possessed, I know that. But the devil's at work in this world, isn't he? And even the most religious people, in John 8, the Lord said to them, these Pharisees that dressed nice and went to church and did all that, he says, Ye are of your father, the devil. Isn't that what he said? And the devil comes, what does the Bible say? To steal and to kill, and to destroy. And we look at a whole world, a whole community, a whole town, a whole neighborhood, that where they don't have demon possession in them, they're under the influence of the devil to try and destroy and steal and deceive and kill. And the Lord says, but I've come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. Let's keep reading. And they were all amazed at the mighty power of God. And while they wondered every one of these things which Jesus did, he says to the disciples, let these things sink down into your ears, for the Son of Man shall be delivered into the hands of men. And they understood not this saying, and it was hid from them that they had perceived it not, and they feared to ask him of that saying. You know what's happening? The disciples have had their pride hurt here. They've had their pride hurt. Lord, how how come we couldn't do it? You can do it, but we couldn't do it. What's going on here? Our, our pride's been hurt. And actually, you'll see in this scripture here that pride is actually the the root of all spiritual problems. Really, you take the the, the Lucifer. He said, "I will ascend." And the great character of Christians is this, that we are not prideful. What does the Lord exhort us constantly to? He constantly exhorts us to humility, doesn't he? Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. All you need to do is take a concordance and look up humility and humbleness. And you'll see how much prominence the Lord gives to the character of his people as being humble people. But these people's pride have been hurt. How is it, Lord, that we couldn't do it? You know, how come? You know, you gave us power. How is it that we couldn't do it? And it says this. Verse 46. Then there arose a great reason amongst them of which of them should be the greatest and Jesus, perceiving the thought of their heart, took a child and set him by him. And he said unto them, whoever shall receive this child in my name, receiveth me. And whosoever shall receiveth me, receiveth him that sent me. For he that is least among you is the same shall be great. Now the word reasoning in my authorized verse, in verse 46, it means they were arguing. That, that, that's what it means. See, when your pride gets hurt, do you, do you know what you start to do? You start to get a bit defensive, don't you? And when you start to get defensive, you start to get argumentative. And these people are arguing. Here's these disciples, and they're saying, well, wait a minute, I, I, I'm greater than you. Do you know why? Well, I cast out, I, cast, I, I healed three deaf men. Another one comes and says, ah, I, I, I healed three blind men. So there's three deaf men trump three blind men. And, and you know, they're all saying, they're all arguing now, but you know, who's going to be the greatest? Who is the greatest? The Lord's given us this, but you know, they're all looking for a pecking order. You know, and sisters and the things of the Lord there's no pecking order is there no pecking order at all there's no great air great test we're all just the recipients of the grace of God and that should not puff us up that should humble our hearts before God and make us grateful and they're arguing about who they should be the greatest so the Lord has a kind of object lesson right so the object lesson the Lord uses, the metaphor the Lord uses is, he brings a child and he sets him in the midst, right? And he says, look at this wee one. Now, in Jewish culture, the word child, it doesn't mean a teenager, and it doesn't mean a young adult, it means a very small one, right? Very, very small one. It's the type of child that the Lord and the disciples could take up in their arms, right? And you know, the, in Matthew, in chapter 18, the Lord uses a child in another way, doesn't he? He takes a child up and they all said get rid of the children because in Jewish culture the children weren't significant. Just chase them away. Chase them away. They're not big enough to, they're not, they've are not. they got no accomplishments, they've got no qualifications, they cannot make a contribution. Children were a, to be seen and not heard. You know, they were an inconvenience in Jewish. So they would get rid of the children. So when the children came to the Lord, do you know what the disciples wanted to do? They just wanted to chase them away. But the Lord said, suffer the little children to come unto me. And in Matthew 18 he says, listen, If you're going to be part of the kingdom, you've got to become, what, like, as a little child. So a little child won't bring its academic qualifications, and it won't bring its experience, and it won't bring its pedigree. A little child just come as a little child and not deserving anything but the kindness and grace of the the father and the mother, isn't that right? So the little child here is that same kind of picture. It's a picture of the children of the kingdom. It's not just a little child. Because when you read it, it says this. He took a child and sat him by him and he said, Whosoever receiveth this child in my name receiveth me. And whosoever receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. And he's really just using it as an object lesson to say, you know, you've got to receive all the children of God in the kingdom. We're all equal. We don't have pecking orders and we don't have award ceremonies and we don't have, you know, we don't have uh, gold braid on our shoulders. We're we're all just the same. We're all just the children of God. We're all just, and the Lord says, you need to receive my people as we would receive children. Just we're all received. Then he says this. So John's maybe got a wee bit more pride and he says this. And John answered and said, Master, we saw one casting out devils in your name and we forbade him because he followeth not with us. Didn't say he didn't follow you, Lord. He says he's not part of our club, Lord. He's not part of our club. And we forbade him. And Jesus said, Forbid him not, for he that is not against us is for us. And so these disciples have got selfish pride in their own life. How could we not do this? We should be able to do this. Who's going to be the greatest? But now they've got sectarian pride. They've got a group pride, haven't they? They've got a wee group that says, you know, you know Lord, you know, we're, we're, we're your best group. We, we're the 12 that you chose. We, we, we are, in a, we're your inner circle. We're the ones that are best when it comes to your estimation. And this other fellow, we don't know who he is. He's not part of our club, Lord. And we told him to, to not do that because he's not part of our club. He doesn't follow us, and the Lord says wait a minute here, he that is, uh, he that is not against us is for us, it seems as though this man, there are people who would do things in the Lord's name that was false, isn't that right, isn't that right, that would, that, that would happen, but I don't think this is this case here, I don't think this is this case here. Because I think if this man was false, the Lord would say this man was false. And there's other places where the Lord just says that, you know, these are people are false. You don't want anything to do with them. They say, Lord, Lord, open unto us. And I'll say, depart from you, I never knew you. But this man doesn't get that kind of treatment from the Lord. This man says, look, listen, you just leave that man alone. Because he's not, if he's not part of your club, that is, it's not your club that matters. It's not your club that matters. It's me that matters that kind of chastises me really when it comes to looking at other Christians, doesn't it? You know? You see, the thing is, we're the best bit. They, they might be in the club, but they're no part of the inner circle that we are. They, they don't gather with us. So, do you know what, Lord? We just we just don't want to end it. The Lord says, excuse me, you just mind your own business here. You just mind your own business here. Because know is not against us as for us. Now, we do try and I well, we hope we do, humbly hold to the word of God as best we can. Right, okay, we, as best we can. But we must adopt a, a an attitude of big-heartedness to other Christians, mustn't we? We mustn't just say, well, they're not in our club, so they don't, they don't matter. The Lord says we're all like those little children that are all received on the, on the same basis. And there we are, he says, Master, we so cast out devils in thy name, and we forbid them, because he followeth not with you see these disciples had really got quite proud because you, you remember when they came when they when the lord came down in verse 10 of chapter 9 he sent the, the apostles and when they returned they told him all that he all that they had done they didn't say lord you were right you were right you, you gave us this authority look what you did through us this is not what you, you know what we did look what we did look what we did it was really us that did it And so so what's happening is they're taking the delegated authority and power that the Lord's given them and forgetting that he's given by grace and think that there's something in them that merits and there's something in them that can do the work. And so when we come to this passage, it says, and when they came to pass on the next day. This is a really significant chapter, folks, because just let me give you a wee bit of geography. When you go down, the very next verse after my verses is this. It says, it came to pass when the time has come, he should be received up. He steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. So for the last wee while in Luke's gospel, the Lord Jesus has been ministering and working up in Galilee. And if you you can see that there, that's that kind of brown portion just up by the Sea of Galilee. His headquarters was really Capernaum and Caesarea Philippi where they think the transfiguration was is a little further north than that so after the Lord's baptism at the river Jordan he went a little while to Judea but most of the time that we've spent he's been spending up in Galilee and he's been spending up in Galilee and he's been doing the miracles and he's been working and he's been based in Capernaum but now after this passage that we've read he's going to start his journey towards Jerusalem and so after when we get to verse 51 things are going to change the Lord's going to start moving south and He's going to start working His way down towards Jerusalem, where He'll ultimately be put up on the cross. And that will, this next section after me is going to take you right up to chapter 19 and verse 28. And the next section, I'm talking about the next section, I shouldn't really, but it's more about them learning from the Lord. They're going to learn a lot of big lessons as the Lord takes them on this journey to Jerusalem. They're going to learn about the, the discipleship and mission and compassion and prayer and hypocrisy, provision, costs, suffering, stewardship and accountability and you know they're going to start moving towards Jerusalem. So this portion that we've got now is the last section of the Lord's Galilean ministry and the last part of his Galilean ministry says this on the next day. Three of these men had been enjoying a, enjoying a wonderful, special experience with the Lord. They'd been up on the mountain. And up on the mountain, they'd seen his glory. And, and Peter says that, he says, we were eyewitnesses of his glory. But the next day, the next day, they come down from the mountain. And the next day, they're faced with a big problem. Somebody comes and he's the disciples have been trying to cast out this demon. And they can't do it. And it's only available, only the Lord can do it because they lack faith. Let me just, a simple lesson before we finish. These men had been given delegated authority, they weren't taking it on themselves. They weren't taking it on themselves to preach and to heal. They had been commissioned by the Lord to go out and preach and heal. So when the Lord takes the three up the mountain, the nine, it seems, are just getting about their business. They keep doing what they're supposed to be doing but they come across something that's too difficult for them, not because they don't have the authority or the power to do it, but because they don't have the faith to do it. In other words, they don't have enough confidence in the word of God. They don't have enough confidence in what God has said to act upon it. They just looked at this young boy and he says, no, that one's too difficult for us, that one's too difficult for us. What do I want to see, folks? Not everybody is given the same delegated responsibility from the lord isn't that right so we have not been delegated to go out and heal anymore that 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 authority and power has been taken away the lord's taken that away we have been encouraged to go and preach haven't we go go and preach and you, you can prove that from from the end of the gospels and into the and into the rest of the passage but what i'm saying to you is this that the lord has given us all a work for him to do isn't that right there's something for us to do for the Lord and fulfilling the work that God has given you to do is the paramount purpose of your life that's what it is and so when God says your life is mine's I've got want you to be holy I want you to worship I want to glorify me we have to have faith that says yes Lord we'll do that we'll do that but Lord it's difficult there's things that I've got to prioritise. There's things that are more important. I really need it. This bit's too difficult for me. That, you know, the Lord says, not excuse me. I've said to you, everything you need for life and godliness is given to you. Just go and do it. Just by faith, accept that when I say, I shall supply all your needs according to my riches in glory, and glory in Christ Jesus, He actually means that. And when you face difficulties, now, I can do all things through Christ that strengtheneth me in the Philippians is, is a, a vastly abused verse. It doesn't mean that when you get down to run the 100 meters, you'll definitely win. Because I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. The context is this. The context is this. When you're faithful to the Lord and you're serving the Lord and something comes across your path that seems impossible, right? So the context is my life for the Lord, my service for the Lord, my commitment to the Lord, my purpose for the Lord... When I'm doing that, and when I come across something that seems insurmountable, I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. It's not a genie in a bottle. You don't rub that verse when you're having trouble at any time. And just rub the verse and think, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So I'll get up at half past seven tomorrow and I'll catch the 25 to eight bus. Because that's not what happens. But if God's given you something to do, and it's a difficult task to do, and it seems sacrifices involved, and it seems impossible for you to do if you're in the mind and will of God. I can do all things through Christ who strength I me. Mean, that's what happened to these boys. These boys forgot that. They had been sent by the Lord to do something, and they faced a task that was too difficult for them. And what happened? They failed. And their pride was hurt. You would have thought after learning this lesson in Luke 9, they would have learned the lesson that who would be the greatest when the Lord took a child up and he says, listen, you know, receive. you must be like little children. But see when you come to Matthew 18? No, Matthew, uh, Luke 22, sorry. Luke 22, just on the eve of the Lord going to the cross, do you know what they're doing? They're still arguing about who would be the greatest. They didn't learn the lesson. And it says this, they were arguing about it. Do you know what pride does, folks? Pride makes you argumentative. Pride destroys unity amongst the Lord's people. When we want a place, when we want our way, when we want our thing, pride is the absolute primary enemy of the work of the Lord. And it's the primary enemy of fellowship in the Lord. So we must guide ourselves, guard ourselves against that. And then this other aspect of pride in our club. We need to be we need to be difficult, we need to be careful with that, folks. We must not spend our life looking at other people and saying, well, i are no, not a member of our club, so they can't be as good as us. The Lord says, excuse me, just you, you remember John 21. Was it you who spoke about John 21, John, recently? Remember Peter said to the Lord, Lord, what about this guy? What about John? And the Lord said, excuse me, mind your own business. What is that to you? Follow thou me. Our primary responsibility, folks, is to have faith in the word of God, to be humble, the presence of God and to have hearts that are large enough to understand that we are not the only people that God uses. Let's pray. Father we're grateful for thy word again, grateful for its power in our own life, this challenge to us is so great Lord. We think of earlier the passage when they were told to take up their cross and to follow him when self-sacrifice and and, and giving up everything for the Lord was just so clearly enjoined upon him. Help us, Lord, to be the ones in our society now to be faithful to thee, not because we have any strength of our own, but we are understanding of the great grace that we have received. So bless us, Lord, as we take a little refreshment now, we give thanks in the Lord's name. Amen. Amen. See, I get confused. I thought I had to finish at quarter past and I've managed to finish at 25 two. That's the advantage of changing the time, keeps me short.